This is Daniel Fagella, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. In this episode, we focus on the topic of large language models. This is not a topic that would have been on the show at all two or three years ago, but since OpenAI's innovations with GPT-3 and many other players in the space, large language models have now come to the fore and are starting to become relevant in the enterprise. Our guest this week is none other than the CTO of Microsoft Azure. Mark Rasinovich speaks with us this week about two important topics. Number one, he speaks with us about actual in-the-field applications of large language models today. He goes over a number of them, but there's one particular use case with CarMax, which is particularly useful when it comes to natural language generation in an actual enterprise use case. I think one of the things about large language models is they make for some fun tweets. They're very interesting to learn about if any of you have Googled GPT-3 inputs, uh, but to be able to find where they're hitting the ground running in the enterprise is a little bit more tough, but Mark has a nice insider's perspective and shares a few very tangible examples with us here. Secondly, towards the end of the episode, Mark talks a little bit about what he would recommend for enterprise leaders who would like to be able to look at their own business and figure out where can they apply the value of large language models within their enterprise? What are the particular workflows that might be low-hanging fruit for LLMs? We really appreciate Mark's perspective on this particular topic and also appreciate Kisako Research for making the introduction to Mark. Those of you who've been listeners with us for uh, quite some time here know that for the last four years, we've supported Kisako Research's AI Hardware Summit. This year, the summit takes place from September 13th through 15th at the Santa Clara Marriott in California. Mark is one of many distinguished speakers, including infrastructure and AI leaders at Meta, otherwise known as Facebook, uh, Wells Fargo, Salesforce, and more. So you can learn more about the Kasako Research event by simply Googling AI Hardware Summit. Otherwise, without further ado, this is Mark Rasinovich, the CTO of Microsoft Azure, here with us on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the program. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to have you with us. Um, we're we're going to start a little bit big picture. You're looking at a lot when it comes to the future of AI in the enterprise, steering the technical efforts at Azure. What's on your mind right now? What are some of the cool trends and topics that are eating up a lot of your, your brain power these days around ML? Yeah, well, ML AI is a huge space. It goes from everything from the data centers that support large-scale training and even enterprise training and inference to the development of the platforms that help data scientists develop machine learning models and deploy them to integration of AI into APIs that customers can call and, and products and services. But I think to sum it up, the big excitement right now in AI are large models, large language models specifically. Cool. And specifically around large language models, I mean, those of us who are on Twitter, you've got a pretty active account yourself, uh, are yep. aware of some of the novel and interesting new applications of large language models. So, oh man, isn't that great that AI could write a movie review that sounded like a real reviewer somewhere? Or isn't that great that AI could come up with a mixed drink that yeah, tastes actually halfway decent based on a million other recipes? These things are fun. These things are interesting. Maybe they feel like a portent to the future, but I think very few enterprises are really thinking about what this might mean for them this year or in the next five years. Where do you see the value of artificial intelligence, the value of these large language models specifically in an enterprise context? Yeah, well, I think we're just kind of starting to see the potential places that they can be deployed and add value. But if you think about paraphrasing speeches, for example, or a chat or a video conference, a team meeting where AI is transcribing it and then AI is summarizing it for somebody, 
making it really easy for people to go say, hey, when was, you know, take me to a meeting or show me a meeting where this topic was discussed or pulling sentiment out of text and speech, suggesting better replies to emails, helping customers of an enterprise identify which products and services are best fits for them, even supporting bots. Chatbots have become very popular way for enterprises to interface with their customers and these large language, language models can do great things at generating speech and understanding speech in that kind of transaction. The number of places where this this technology could come up are almost infinite. As you're talking here, there's different categories floating into my mind. So there is the interpretation of, digestion of, labeling, and, and ability to search existing text or maybe transcriptions of some kind. So you mentioned the call center or kind of chat applications. There's also the the text generation side, which I think at least in the Twitter sphere or in the press, you know, tends to be some of the stuff that, that gets the coverage. Do you see an equal amount of enterprise adoption use cases for both over the next five years? Or do you think we're going to start more on the digestion of what exists and then maybe move over time towards the creation of the new with large language models? I'd, I'd love your thoughts on this. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we're actually going to see both and we do see both from Microsoft customers. Like when you talk about text generation, which I think you know, is the, the place where there's been a lot of potential controversy around what you, uh, nefarious uses. Um, so yeah. we could, yeah. could leverage with that. But uh, for positive use cases for one supporting enterprise, for example, CarMax, which is the largest car retailer in the U.S., is using uh, GPT-3, which is one of these large models, language generative models, to generate text that summarizes car configurations to make it easier for customers to go find cars that they're, they're interested in. So this is just taking a lot of the what used to be very manual labor intensive work and making it something that is automated and provides a great experience for their customers. Got it. So this almost reminds me on some level, although I, I, I haven't shopped for a car on the internet, so it's, it's less of a immediate use case in my mind, but I always like to make our listeners be able to see a mental picture. So I, I know of kind of large language applications for e-commerce, for example, we're an apparel retailer. We, we sell a bajillion different SKUs. And we need to be able to just based on a visual description and maybe a big table of all the different facts and features about the product, be able to paint a paragraph that would actually be worth clicking on and buying something that actually yeah. clicks well in terms of historical product sales. So that's like an example. Are we talking about something similar, but with cars? So in other words, hey, here's a description of the car. Give us a tight breakdown of what it is. You've nailed it. So for example, is the car a good family car? Is it one for good weekend trips? Is it going to go off-road? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Does it have good space for packing stuff? All of that stuff, all of that can be generated in a, a human readable, you know, nice uh, yeah. paragraph or paragraphs that make it easy for people to say, oh, this is this is the kind of car I'm looking for. That's cool. And and it's it's interesting to be able to see how these language models can even be tweaked a little bit, because as, as you're well aware, whether it's the, the visual side of, of models, which have their own interesting generative capabilities or, or text, different prompts, different ways of training, we can give it even a different voice. So I can imagine, I don't know CarMax's editorial style, but I would imagine yeah. that we'd be able to kind of drink in the flavor of how they describe cars. Maybe it's very cold, frank, tight, succinct. Maybe it's very kind of like fun, buying a car is an adventure. And almost that like emotional tune could be baked into the text. Are, are you seeing some people play around with that kind of humanization of, the, of these generated pieces here? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is one of the really uh, cool things about these large language models is that they're effectively platforms that can be tuned. And in the case of somebody like CarMax, they tune the model off this base GPT-3 for their particular lingo and their style, like you said. Yeah. And so this derived model off the base is a CarMax specific model 
that they use to generate this text. So it's not what you would get out of the, the base GPT-3, which might be generic and not reflect the style or not even understand necessarily as deeply the words that are used in car sales, but the CarMax model derived from that does. Yeah. Another great example, by the way, is uh, healthcare, where we're seeing okay. this with Nuance, which is a, a healthcare company that a lot yeah. of doctors use that is sitting and listening to their interactions with patients. Yep. transcribing that and then having these models on top of that summarizing the patient encounters with the doctors oh. which makes them which this physicians no longer need you don't need somebody to transcribe you yeah. don't need to remember all the details and everything becomes searchable in a very rich way so they can go back and get a look at a summary of oh when i talked to this patient what did we talk about what were the salient points and that is generated by AI, not through manual processes, as has been the case you know, historically. Ah, that's pretty cool. We we have we have had a many many nuanced folks on over the years since well before you guys uh, scooped him up uh, back when Vlad was their their CTO before he went into venture capital. He was on the program, and I think they're very well known for transcription. Obviously, yeah. right? Big use case in healthcare. Maybe not as known for the summarization, exact distillation, and rephrasing of what happened, right? Very different kind of a, a use case, obviously, maybe a better fit potentially for the large language side of things based on especially what you're saying here. So, okay, so that's another cool example of generative text. We're going to go into the leveraging of these models on, on top of existing corpi, maybe the uh, chat, etc. But I want to wrap up on, on this question before we pivot because I'm very interested in giving our listeners ways of thinking to be able to find new AI opportunities in their business, no matter what industry they're in. And it sounds mm -hmm. like the commonalities here, healthcare, you know, we talked about e-commerce, we talked about CarMax. It's almost, the question is almost, what are the somewhat predictable bytes of text that we have to type up manually all the time? And what information do we draw upon for a person to do all that darn work? And it almost feels like that's a, a maybe a first low-hanging fruit pass for finding generative text opportunities. Maybe you would think about it differently, though, or frame the opportunity-finding pair of goggles a little bit differently. I, I'd love your thoughts on this. Well, I, I mean, I think the way you phrase it there maybe doesn't highlight the value that these models are bringing, which is the ability to understand semantically what's in, in the text. So when you talk about summarization... Summar summarizing something requires some understanding of what are the, the most relevant points yeah, and yeah. how they fit together. And that is something that, that up until these long, large language models have shown up requires a human to interpret. Like you can't have some algorithm that does it. But with these large language models, they've got built in semantic understanding of words and phrases and the relationship and, and the importance of certain things that makes it possible for them to summarize. Um, they can take a whole document, they can take a paper and yeah. summarize it, right? And provide the abstract. In fact, that's, you know, some of the things that you see on, on Twitter are people that take these large language models and, and provide an abstract for a paper. In fact, there have been papers on these models that have had the abstracts generated by yes, the Yes, so, yes, yes. I, I like that eating of eating of our own dog food yeah. use case. That's a beautiful use case, frankly, just from, from yeah. even just a humor standpoint. So if you were to, to uh, we're going to get into kind of, again, training on big existing kinds of data rather than generating a new description of a car or a new description of a product. But let me ask it this way. If you were to recommend to an enterprise person, hey, here's where you might look into your business and find places where this generative power, this understanding of context that you so aptly brought up can come to life, where would we first look? Like, Man, that could be great. That feels like it's saving a lot of time for CarMax, a, a lot of energy, maybe even it's better quality control. Where could I find opportunities like that? Is there a 
an answer you would typically give there? Well, it's any place that you've got something that can be translated into text that you want information distilled out of that makes it possible for you to put automation around it or make it possible for humans to digest it very efficiently. So we've talked about cases that are involved with advertising in the company, but there, you could imagine things even internally, like, you know, the CarMax case is selling cars to customers, but you can have uh, internal inventory systems in your own supply chain that would have some of the same kinds of producer consumer shapes to them where text is used to describe and, and helps people go find what they're looking for. But if you take a look at the way that Microsoft has been including these things, right? I mean, I mentioned Teams and chat. And so this is a place where it's becoming relevant for enterprises in the, in the case of yep. so much of our work is done through chatting and video conferencing yep. where you're going to, this is just going to be built into the products that, that have that in it. So in some yeah. cases, it's, it's the enterprise taking advantage of these large language models through the products and services that they're getting, right? Yeah. Which are yeah. built in. Um, a customer of Nuance, for example, is going to be taking advantage of it, sure, even though sure. they're not the ones, yep. you know, deploying the models. Um, and, and in other cases, like particular company like Nuance, they're seeing this use case for their data that they're collecting and put places where they can do summarization or generation on, on top of it. Got it. So just in the interest of time, because I'm aware of, of what we've got for time to record here, but also because I know it's quite a big topic to unpack, you brought up the idea of large language models as a platform. I'd be interested in kind of picking that apart and getting a sense of it. You mentioned CarMax is leveraging it in that kind of a sense. Give me an idea maybe of, of what you mean by platform and any tangible examples that for you kind of really illustrate what it means for, for large language models to become such a thing. Yeah, well, there's a, uh, a few examples that demonstrate how these things are platforms. I mentioned, you know, CarMax is creating a derived model, which is it's called fine tuning. When you take the space model and you feed it extra data that's specific to its scenario and generate a model on top of that. And it makes it, it's very efficient. So you can take the CarMax data, for example, and train a model that is like GPT-3, but it would be hugely expensive and take a very long time yeah. and probably not be as accurate as if you find, take this base GPT-3 model and just add the CarMax specific data on top of it and train off that base and get, get this kind of derived model. Great example of where you can see just in terms of what OpenAI, the company behind GPT-3 has done with this, is they've created a, a model that's derived from GPT-3 called Dolly, which actually one of the aspects of these large models that are language models is that you can use them in for other scenarios yes. too with yes. tweaking. And Dolly, and, and some people might have already seen some of the cool things coming out of Dolly, which is a GPT-3 derived model that actually takes text and generates images yep. from it. Yep. So you can say, you know, robot playing on the beach and it will generate an image that depending on various factors, factors yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, might might look crazy or, or realistic of a robot on a beach. This early days, like this is the first time we've seen this level of quality and it's just going to get better to the point where you can imagine creators leveraging that um, for advertising campaigns, for example. I'm, you know, I want a family playing on the beach with this totally. particular product, right? And 100%. It'll 
Yeah. And, and hypothetically could generate the exact kind of family that would have an emotional pull for the exact kind of viewer. I mean, you know, the, the, it gets pretty wonky here. I actually don't think we're going to live in a world of analog media for very long. Yeah, there aren't going to be I, very many people five years from now that listen to the same version of this podcast even yeah, yeah based on, on how it could be molded and tuned to them. Dolly, for those of you who are listening in who have not looked under the hood, D-A-L-L-E and then the number two, uh, lots of fantastic stuff. Mark, I mean, I, I, we're not going to get into Dolly entirely, but we, we just interviewed um, uh, one of the technical leadership over there, both from GPT and from from Dolly, two separate interviews at OpenAI. Those will be airing, I think, a little bit after yours here. But the amount of granularity, like you said, a robot playing on the beach is, is a really funny one. But the craziness is, you know, a robot playing on the beach in the style of Salvador Dolly, blue hue colors only in the style of Rembrandt. And it'll somehow combine Rembrandt and Dali together, uh, yeah. like the, the Salvador Dali in this case, together with that kind of image, like the amount of conceptual layering, like you said, the understanding of ideas, outlandishly impressive, actually, for this kind of technology. So I would, I would yeah. recommend people tuned in, do some Googling. And if you're not, your mind isn't open to the possibilities of where this goes long term, you're, you're a little bit different than most of our listeners, that's for sure. So it's, it's um, really science fiction. Yeah, it's, it's quite um, wild. Go ahead. Go but ahead. I've got a couple, couple other really cool Please, examples. By all means, too. yeah. Let's do it. Uh, for that. One of them is something called Copilot, which is something that GitHub, which is uh, open source uh, repository. It's you know Microsoft subsidiary, but it's where the open source community goes and stores their code. Yes, yes. A partnership between GitHub and OpenAI generated a GPT-3 derived model called Copilot based off of this model that generates code based off of a comment or a statement. Like, yeah, yeah. write me a piece of code that iterates through images and creates thumbnails for them. And it will spit out code in like, it supports roughly 10 different language, programming languages right now that with very high degree of probability is code that the developer can just take and use. Um, in some cases they might have to tweak it a little bit, yes, but yes, yes, yes. this is, um, it's called pair programming where you have somebody that's sitting there with you and helping you with coding tasks. And in fact, this case, it's AI-driven pair programmer in the case of Codex. Really look at the future of software development that is actually here and already providing the tens of thousands of users that are active users of this thing, hundreds of thousands of users uh, that are leveraging it to be more productive. It's just a taste of what's going to happen here with programming and the use of AI. But again, based off of these large language models that are platforms. Yeah, I I actually, I have a friend a good buddy who works at MuleSoft who messaged me nine months ago or six months ago or something. It was like, Hey, you've really got to look at this co-pilot thing. Like I am, I am basically building dashboards for, you know, Salesforce with prompts that are very complicated. That would take me a long, long time to build. Like I'm mostly getting the work done through prompts at this point. And this is a portent of what's to come. And I think the folks that are up close and personal with this technology who see where we were with anything close to this even two, three years ago. It'd be hard to argue that the next two, three years aren't aren't going to start to feel the rumbles on this stuff. When it comes to Copilot in particular, you mentioned supporting 10 languages already. Clearly, the applications could be anywhere, right? But I would imagine most of the folks that are leveraging this, the highest propensity and density would be in super digitally nimble venture back firms that are willing to kind of adopt like the coolest new thing and even experiment a little bit. But when you think about where that technology becomes more sort of normal, what are some of the spaces where you think it might fit in? It might not augment every domain of code at exactly the same rate. I would, in fact, 
essentially bet my life that it would not. Where where do you yeah. think it'll sort of make the biggest impact in in the coming you know X number of years, two three years, what have you? Well, I, I mean, I I think right now where it's at and where it's penetrating are, are enterprise developers, and so the large audience for it are, are people writing code for businesses that are taking advantage of it to help the, to boost their productivity. It is programmer, you know, pro developer is what we call it. Somebody that is making their living off of writing code like this. But where you're going to see this is show up in other places in even higher low code, no code scenarios. And even helping out with driving user interfaces. Um, a great example of that is Autodesk, which is has three workflow platforms. And with Autodesk, you can, using a derived model, fine-tuned model off of GPT-3, give it instructions through text that says, or, or verbally, that say, give me three cylinders, colored blue, green, yellow, um, or give me a tree with a box in front of it, and it will generate that for you. So something that would have had to take you dragging and dropping and clicking yeah. all over the place, it makes it something that within seconds you get what you want. Yeah. Again, like when we talk about the ecosystems where this could impact folks most, my guess is that if you are the first person ever to build an application of X kind in X language, you have an astronomically lower likelihood of using the technology you're talking about than if you are the eight bajillionth person to build a mobile app of type Y or to build a dashboard for Tableau in, in way X. Just for some proxy on where we're most likely to see this hit. Is there something to be said of, hey, there's certain languages that are really popular this is being used in, that those proxies could be interesting for the audience, or things where there are a lot of annotated kinds of, of code of a similar kind, those would be areas where maybe we'd have a higher hit rate in terms of what we would expect the usage of this stuff over the coming couple of years to be. I, I'd love your thoughts just so our listeners can see a bit of the future, even think about their own business. Well, like I said, pro developers, which are basically the, the building blocks for anybody's application, that's where you're seeing it right now, take hold. But you're going to get it into these domain-specific areas, like the Autodesk case, which is, again, derived off of, of Codex, fine-tuned for their particular case, and then driving their business process, uh, which is basically their app. Yep. And so their app is, of course, a platform for anybody to use. But you can imagine, too, processes within enterprises that are like this of workflows where today it's very manual, you've got to click a lot. And if you had something that could semantically understand what the person wants to do, which today for a programmer to go and write something that says, you know, Dan through his normal workflow where he's got to open invoices and do this with them and do that, but there's like 15 different mm. ways that he can, that he goes about that workflow. I want him to just tell me what he wants Without the use of these models, that is a, basically an insurmountable process to get right and not cause Dan frustration. But with this, you could say, you know, Dan types in, says, open invoice from whatever, uh, transcribe it, file it in this database. I think we're going to get to the world of where low-code, no-code really is language-driven like this. Yeah. Well, what's coming to my mind, and Mark, I'd love to know if I'm being misguided here or if maybe you want to build on this, is that... You know, right now, if Dan has a workflow that you know should be done by software, which I'm sure I have many, Mark, there there are RPA companies, many of whom we've had on the program, uh, many of whom are in some way starting to to leverage AI in different portions of of what they're up to. That you know focus on some of those kinds of use cases. But I'm almost imagining a bit of a future where, so long as we have access to the ability to code, there might be an almost RPA alternative or workaround where 
we're just using prompts. And so instead of actually building out a new custom pipeline and plugging in this pipe and plugging in this pipe, it might just be, hey, we have a certain kind of prompt library and we kind of know what these certain things mean. They're very common. We didn't really have to even write the stuff. People are just saying what, what the case is. And in, under these parameters, generally, it's going to get solved first pass by, okay. by AI actually generating the code. Yeah, yeah. you can think about it as, as kind of uh, your pair programmer for RPA, right? Yeah, I mean, that's cool. That's a really cool use case. I, I don't think I don't think I've ever seen that like a specific article about that as the lens to think through. But that yeah. opens up a lot of cool brainstormed possibilities there. To close the the gap on this idea of platform before we pivot into some of your advice around adopting this technology, because you guys are up close to personal with the people who are first getting access. Uh, the day of our recording here today, Sam just tweeted something about you know a hundred thousand people having access to I forget if it's Dolly or GPT and they were they're looking for a million yeah. and who knows if I chat with you again and how many millions it'll be right so this stuff is is really going to start spreading like wildfire from the platform perspective before we get into adoption when you say platform what I was kind of hearing and I want to make sure this clicks for the the listener who might be less familiar with the terminology was hey we have a, a base serve GPT three and we're able to train it on the specific voice types of data etc of this particular company that we're working with now. And now it can be leveraged in many ways. It can be used to write FAQ pages online. It can be used to even help inform the way we respond to chat for those low-hanging fruit, automatically respondable things. It can be baked into paperwork templates that we create. It can be turned into car descriptions because we sort of have a feel for the flavor that we write in a legal way and in a customer-facing way. Is this what you mean by platform or should we describe this a little bit better for the listeners? No, no, I think you nailed it. It is um, taking these base models that are incredibly powerful on their own and then customizing them for yeah. your particular scenario, your particular set of data or your particular workflow or what you're looking to get as an outcome from this. Uh, great, great to know. Okay. Yeah. So cool. So that's what platform means for all of our folks who are tuned in here today. Last question, Mark, from your perspective. Again, some people are familiar with where this stuff is starting to tippy toe from kind of an experimental standpoint that's like fun, interesting, worth tweeting about. You're seeing a good deal of that. You're also seeing this stuff start to make its way into CarMax, make its way into certain healthcare businesses, et cetera. What sort of advice do you have for companies that want to deploy this? Some people, as you brought up before, are only really going to get access to GPT through some product that's already using it. And that's fine. Perfectly fine. They're not necessarily going to have to deal with the complexity. Some people are really going to want to uniquely train and develop a more rich and robust sort of way of interacting with these things. What do they need to know to get started with the tech and, and find their way to ROI. Yeah, well, the power of the cloud is on-demand self-service. Um, and that's the same way that these technologies are being delivered right now. So there's, for example, OpenAI for Enterprise as a service on the Azure platform. So you want to go create a fine-tuned model off of GPT-3, you can do that. Walk up with a credit card and in a few minutes, you can start training on your particular custom data set to create your drive model. And then press a button and say, deploy this as an endpoint. And now I've got an, an endpoint that my app can call and start leveraging the, the text that's generated from that or the summaries or whatever particular use case might be. It's really, at this point, because of all the fantastic infrastructure cloud platforms have built up over time, really easy for somebody to start using this kind of technology. So getting started is fine. You've told them where to swipe the credit card, Mark. The, yeah. the, the question to reframe here is, let's yeah, say I'm an enterprise leader. I ain't writing the code. And it's cool when you know, my fellers that like writing Python, like writing Python, and like they've got some, the cool new toy to play with. At the end of the day, when it comes to finding the pockets and opportunity, you know, somebody, again, who doesn't write the code, they're certainly not going to be the one buying the individual license somewhere. They're looking at the business and saying, 
Okay, we want to start to integrate this. The CarMax is very inspiring. We have a lot of repeated areas where we're generating text and learning from text. I think we could really make this work. Is there any advice you'd give, even if you could go back in time to, to CarMax, or maybe things you even said to them when they were getting started, about how they, as the enterprise folks that might not be doing the code, could really think about finding their way to those productive use cases in, in the way that they did? What, what might be some parting advice for that crowd? You know, I think we've covered it pretty much okay. throughout the discussion, which is, uh, look for those cases where you've got data, you want to transform that data in some way or drive some process in some way more efficiently based off of what humans can can say and do. And I think the examples we talked about are ones to look for parallels within an organization. Right? Got it. Um, yep. and, and, I, and I think that we've kind of touched on a bunch of canonical ones that, that can up, you know, apply to apply. the vast majority of businesses. Right? Right. It's just kind of try to pattern match uh, to find those examples. Cool. Well, you guys who are tuned in, you you heard it from Mark, pattern matching. One of the reasons we record so many yeah. episodes, Mark, talk to smart people like you, is we can get as many darn ideas on the table as possible. And when, when our listeners tune into OpenAI's episode, they'll hear all kinds of other fun episodes from creating recipe descriptions for restaurants to all kinds of other crazy stuff. So uh, it sounds like your advice is, hey, think about the broad capabilities that these things can do, and then look at your own business for those analogies and find those pockets where it could really make a difference. Yep, exactly. That's the simplest advice out there and certainly part of the reason why we record the show. Mark, I'm aware of what we're up for on time. I hope by the next time we talk, my simulation will just talk to yours and we won't even have to book a meeting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, brother. Hey, thank you so much for being All with right. us, Mark. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, man. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. A big thank you to Mark for being able to join us. Hopefully some of you learned from some of Mark's tangible examples. I like the fact that we actually got down to business on where uh, OpenAI is partnering with real enterprise companies. OpenAI, of course, was Microsoft invested something like a billion dollars in OpenAI recently, so the collaboration between the two companies is pretty tight. And the fact that Mark was able to get into specifics, I thought was one of the more valuable parts of this particular episode. I hope you got something out of it as well. If you've benefited from our podcast over the years, I haven't asked for it in quite some time, but I should mention, it means the world to us when you leave us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. That not only helps other people learn about the show and be able to grow with us, we are now over 100,000 downloads a month for the last nine months trailing, and that's all because of you, but it also is our best source of feedback. We would never have gotten to 100,000 downloads a month if we didn't get excellent feedback about topics, guests, and more from listeners like you. So again, you can find us on iTunes at just the AI and Business Podcast. Drop us a review. Let us know what you've benefited from and what you want to see more of here on the program. It means the world to me. It's something that we look at every week as a team. And I hope that our future episodes for the rest of the year will be just as helpful as this one. Again, big thanks to Mark, and thank you for tuning in. I'll catch you next time on the AI and Business Podcast.